Welcome back to our two-part series of Stories from the Pandemic. For part two, we will hear from Tanya Isaac, a returning teacher this summer. Terence Karn, one of the festival's longtime musicians, and Sarah Julie, who informally performed her piece, Burnt Out Wife, for this year's participants. I'm Tanya Isaac, and I'm teaching at the festival here this summer. I'm a choreographer, writer, recently a policy analyst of some kind, a maker of spaces for people to converse in, um, I think is probably going to be my new title. And um, I've been at the festival multiple times. My work has been produced here. I've built a lot of really wonderful relationships here. I've performed in the field with a lot of different choreographers and produced my own work. And I'm really rediscovering my love of teaching and of creative practice in all the spaces that it can inhabit. The last, uh, how long has it been now? It's been a year and a half, two, almost two years um, with COVID. And it's interesting to be at Bates right now because Prior to this, I had almost divorced myself from dance entirely. Um, I had just finished a five years as a faculty member um, at Drexel University and had a lot of conflict about what I thought we were teaching as faculty members, what I thought students were getting out of the experience, what I thought we were sending out into the larger world, what the perspective was, what the knowledge was, what the attitudes were. And and I think I was a little disillusioned. Um, I think there's a, perhaps an expectation that we are entering the world differently and framing the world differently and somehow sometimes forgetting that we're also people and we're also really flawed. So the ways in which we talk about artistic practice and the ways in which we talk about the ideal of our behaviors and the ideal of the community that we want to create don't materialize in those ways because we still are egotistical and we still are selfish and we still don't recognize the ways in which we disrupt and cause different degrees of harm to each other in trying to figure out all of this. So I think some of my university experience and then some of the experiences in the field made it really difficult to try to reconcile what I thought art should represent and what I thought I was seeing. And I also had a family and I love spending time with my family. I love prioritizing my family and it made certain things always feel sort of mutually exclusive. I can't commit to what hours that seem really absurd because I want to be home when my kids go to bed or I want to be up in the morning. And I don't consider that to be a lack of commitment to the field. But if it's interpreted as a lack of commitment to the field, then maybe that's not where I want to be because I want to feel like my decision about those parts of my life are valuable. So in the last sort of few years before I made the big shift, um, I had become more and more invested in the conversations around the work that I was doing. So the work was still really interesting. I love the collaboration. I love performing. I love moving. 
the thing that became more and more interesting was having these spaces where people wrote their thoughts and wrote their responses and watching how they responded to each other. So we would go from city to city and watching a response from one city to the next, seeing the familiar threads of how people were constructing the world, of how people felt displaced or disconnected or unheard or not considered. And then when there were actual conversations, listening to how people actually were deeply connected and had some really clear foundational values that got really blurry once we started trying to have other conversations, but really recognizing that some of the things people talk about being very important to them were not the things that were reflected in how the institutions worked, in how we structure sort of interpersonal interactions, how we structure a policy and politics. Um, and so I became really curious about what happens between the thing people say they want and the ways in which we think we're facilitating them or the ways in which we think they should be that we then impose on the actual ideas. So then I became interested in policy and um, Penn is down the street from my house and so focused on that program specifically. And it was a master's in public administration uh, and I focused on policy and policy analysis. And it was fascinating. Like I had not been in a room with that style of academic, those that style of academics before. I had been always in rooms that were about artistic practice and curiosity. So being in rooms that were more formal and more finite, finite and where the the language was very limited and the structures were clear and had like really hard delineations about what they could and couldn't do was disconcerting, but also really fascinating. And, you know, my impulse is always to ask, well, why could we not do it like that? Why, how, why should we not think about it in those ways? Who decided that this should be the way that we think about it, which didn't always go very well, but, um, but sort of gave me another appreciation for how, there are so many more people who exist in that realm than in the tiny bubble of really curious, slightly odd humans who, you know, keep creating things and wanting to create more and different and new things all the time. There are so many people who just want a thing in place that works, that they can rely on and not have to think about or worry about. And so it was really great to be able to appreciate a broader spectrum of how people think and want to live and how people build structures. Um, the thing that I think um, was a big shift in that first summer of COVID was that I applied for something called an Urban Leaders Fellowship. And it's a national organization and you partner with them for seven weeks over the summer and do work concurrently with a public administrator on a piece of um, policy that is going to be enacted. So there's a sense of urgency around it. And you work with a community organization of some kind, helping them build capacity. And I was supposed to go to New Orleans and COVID happened and I ended up doing it virtually. So I worked with Artist Nola, a music organization in New Orleans, music education, and they um, distribute teachers throughout the schools. And um, 
facilitate instruments for the students and teaching. So I was helping sort of formalize the mailing list and building a newsletter and attending these meetings as they were strategizing about how to get ahead of the arts policy for um, for COVID. So it was really fascinating because it was meeting with the music teachers and meeting with the directors of the organization and watching them plan for all the eventualities. And I think it was a really beautiful, beautiful example of acknowledging the bigger structure in which you live and then being very creative about how you enter that space in order to find a sustainable place for yourself. It was really grounding. Um, I think I had missed, sometimes in all of the conversations about artistry, I missed the conversations around people, um, what people care about, why it matters to offer what we do to people, why it matters to offer who we are and what we have to sort of ease some of what happens in the world. So yeah, that fellowship. <laughs> the fellowship the fellowship was amazing and I think it gave me, and it was one of the reasons I applied, it gave me the opportunity to think about what my artistic and creative life had been and what this new set of information was going to be. Um, in the midst of all of this also, you know, my kids are home. Um, they're in school online. Um, you know, my older daughter, she's an older teenager. So there are all of the shifts in family dynamics that come along with that. And I think because I was more at ease with where I thought I was going with things and I felt more settled and more grounded and more purposeful to some degree, um, it felt a lot easier to be available to them for everything that was going on. Because we're also, uh, you know, they're biracial kids. Um, they're, and they're not, they're being raised Jewish, but, you know, my family's Christian, my husband's family's Jewish. We're in all of these different spaces. And in addition to COVID, there's all of the social upheaval. So, you know, with my 16-year-old and with my 9-year-old, we're talking about what race means and why it's so polarizing. And in those, in those conversations, it starts to, they just don't make sense. Like there's not a good reason why we've taken up entrenched positions based on people's whatever, you know, skin, orientation, religion, language. And we started doing this exercise where we just insert the characteristic rather than the label. So we'll say, oh, this person who has brown skin did this thing. And they listen to the absurdity of having that be a qualifying statement for anything at all. And so it was it was good and it was also really tough because you want your kids to be able to relax into who they are. You want them to be able to step into the world on the basis of what they have to offer um, as people and not have to run into what external limitations people put on them because of how they look. Um, it felt like the time at home allowed us to just close in and take care of each other and have some more space from all of the, all of the sort of tumultuous stuff happening on the outside and that felt really good um, and the time we had as a family felt really good so we took a lot of walks in the woods um, 
they were school online. So we, you know, drove to their grandparents and spent a month there because we could do that. And we were all healthy and it didn't matter where they signed in from. And so thankfully, because everyone was healthy, it felt it felt good to be able to to both be focused on the kind of work that I wanted to be doing, what felt like the kind of work, but also to be focused on this opportunity to be really, really close and tight with my family that just hadn't felt possible before. We weren't driving to 50 places. We weren't managing, you know, schedule upon schedule upon schedule. And it was just a really nice retreat from everything. Uh, towards the end, like now I'm here and... um I get this email. Was it an email or a call? It was an email from Allie and Shoni asking about teaching at the festival. And like there was this whole pause and going like, do I still do that? I don't even know what's happening in dance. I did. I think I took one online dance class sometime during COVID because it did give me a chance to sort of figure out what I missed about being in my body. Um, so I did, but I did more yoga and just sort of general working out, running around in the woods. <laughs> um, but um, but there was that question, it's sort of, do I still do that? And having no idea of what the field is like at all right now. Like, I haven't looked. I haven't been to shows. I'm not following anybody in particular. Like, I have my friends that I stay connected with, and I know some of what they're doing. Um and it was a little bit of a sort of internal shift. There's the, do I still do that? Can I still show up and be comfortable that I'm doing that, knowing that I've been so far away from it? And other people might have feelings about how that is too, because it's always sort of weighing multiple things. Um, and talking to my family about, you know, the time away and being immersed in that. And I was saying in one of the other conversations, I I have done really well at being in big social gatherings. And it's also, it's part of the field is how physical and connected and close people are, um, which is a thing that I've had to learn to do. It. I can do it in small groups. Like I'm really happy, like one-on-one, -on -one, two, three people. I can be loud and... Um, when it gets bigger, it's a little, you know, it gets a little more challenging. So it's like, can I do that environment again? But this scale is so tiny. It's such a small scale um, and it felt really doable. And there was a lot of support um, from Ali and Shoni just, yes, this is what you do. This is how you've done it. We would love to have that be part of what we're doing this year. And that felt supportive and really validating. And I said, yes. <laughs> and and I've been here and it's it's been really phenomenal. Um, I had forgotten how much I love being physical. I have forgotten how much I love teaching, how much I love the conversations with the students and the connections and seeing what's bubbling up and seeing how I can feed it. Like, what do you need from me? How can I connect you to the things that you're trying to solve and the ways that you're trying to engage with the world? And um, also being partnered with Kendra, we've moved around each other for so many years. Now we have, we have so many people in common. We're not Facebook friends. I think we have 200 Facebook friends in common. I looked it up the other day and I was like, we're going to talk about that tonight because that's really funny. 
Um, but we've never taught together. We've never been danced, you know, we've never danced together. And it was kind of seamless. You know, we were both teaching and we ended up in the same space and we both sort of naturally fell into this. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing this. What are you doing? And then we talk about the students and we're talking, you know, philosophically about how we approach teaching and how we approach classes, but also personally and how we see the field and how we see the world and what kinds of things we want to make happen and the collaboration around how we teach and the value that we have for each other's experiences um, has been phenomenal. And I think it's been supportive for us as teachers in our individual classes. I think it's been supportive for the students as they experience both classes because we reinforce each other's ideas. We, um, we keep coming back to finding more and more things that are similarly grounding and, um, and then being reconnected with everybody here on a smaller scale. Like I have actually had conversations with people I've seen for lots of years at Bates and have said hello to multiple times, but not spent very much time with just because there's always so much going on. And that's been really phenomenal, too. Um, and seeing even, you know, this week as the guests come in week to week, that feels like a really interesting connection back to what I think is happening in the field, which feels really thoughtful and feels very different. And I know that it's had, it's had to be different. Um, it was necessary. You know, we couldn't gather in the same places. We can't make things in the same way. But watching, you know, even with the students showing, watching what Betsy and Kendra did, like in terms of capturing the video and making different kinds of work, watching how people are using technology and video, um, you know, it was always happening, but now it's it's more immediate because it is a tangible way of creating and it's a connection to creative practice and to keeping things out in the world. Um, but that has been phenomenal. And I think what it feels like for me is that there has been more opportunity for people to be thoughtful about who they want to be connected to, about who they are as artists, about the kinds of things they want to be producing and really interesting in the ways they want to produce those things. What does collaboration mean? What what does performing mean? Like what does an audience need or what is my connection to all of these things out in a bigger world? And I'm, I'm hoping that it makes a shift. Um, it feels intimate again. It feels personal. It feels like it's not just about how many shows I can get on the road and how like how large scale I can make this thing. Like it's just it's back to, at least with the people here, some really essential questions about what we're trying to do and who we are and why it's important. I was here at the Bates College campus playing for dance classes. I'm a dance musician and also a youth arts educator, so I teach music and movement also to kids. So I kind of wear a couple of different hats. And at the time, uh, like I said, I was playing for dance classes here at Bates campus, and they completely said, we're shutting down. No more. We're done. And so the semester virtually just ended there. And I asked if we could continue virtually, but everything was in such 
I don't know. It was just so confusing to everybody here at that time that they said, no, we're just going to cancel the semester now. So I kind of felt like something like that was going to happen. And I had started to think about what else I could do is I'm pretty much a freelance type of artist, working artist. And sometimes I work what they call as a staff or adjunct. So I knew I had to make up some difference because I didn't know how long I was going to be out of work. So I took a, a different kind of job. I became a package handler for FedEx, and the hours were insane, like anywhere from getting up and starting work at 1 a.m. in the morning and then working a full shift. Sometimes we'd start at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, um, and then... You can only imagine that kind of job, shifting my complete schedule and my work, you know, how I work and what I do. Anyway, I jumped right in, and it was a very interesting experience, but I did get a paycheck. <laughs> then uh, I knew that I would have potential work coming up in the fall, which is usually what I do. I have two places where I call home. One is here in Lewiston, Maine, and the other is Houston, Texas. And I go to Houston every year to work at a few different places, uh, Houston Ballet, High School for Performing and Visual Arts, and the University of Houston, do outreach program with Hopestone. I also work at the Texas Renaissance Festival. So I had these other venues that I knew some of them would be happening, so I was hoping that that would hold true so I didn't have to continue to be a package handler. <laughs> anyway, um, so Houston was happening. Um, they told me at the festival that they were actually going to open up, and it's a big outdoor festival. And I was actually really a bit frightened because I was going into Texas where the pandemic was raging. Um, and then I contacted a couple of the other places where I work, and they said, well, if you can play virtual, you can have some classes to play for. And I said, yay, yes, I'm there, I'm there. So I was able to do some virtual classes at University of Houston and the High School for Performing and Visual Arts. And I went on a little bit of a learning curve. I listened to my peers and my colleagues, and they recommended a certain kind of microphone that works best with computers, and also different kinds of sound settings you can put so that when you're broadcasting, you're not echoing or too much reverb. So it was a bit of a learning curve there, but I learned. It was great. And then I was able to transfer some of that information also to the teachers I was working with different kinds of audio settings. And I worked for a while for about four different instructors, teachers, professors, and I asked them, because I knew a little bit about Zoom beforehand, I asked them if they could not talk while I was playing, because Zoom doesn't really allow for two people to be speaking at the same time. And a couple of teachers were like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I said, well, just try it and, and it might work out. So they were very gracious about it and they did. And so for them also, it was a learning curve to kind of adapt their teaching style. 
so they could talk before the combination or the exercise and then after it was done. And then that way my sound could be, could be heard. And then I also had uh, one professor who said, I just can't teach that way. <laughs> he, he's a talker. And he just loves to talk during his whole class. That's his style. And I said, okay, let's figure it out. So he got a nice little mixer and a really good quality microphone. And he plugged both of us into that mixer. And then we had uh, some trial periods with people who were off campus until we found the right settings. So it was a success for him. He could continue to teach in his style of teaching. And I could still play. That was in the fall. And then when I came back from my fall trip, well, backing up, before I left Texas, my Renaissance Festival work was actually really exciting. I did, I stayed masked the whole time around my cast members, backstage, even on stage. We had, our company was sometimes as many as, 12 to 14 people on stage, sometimes maybe 10. And I and two of the other cast members stayed masked the entire time, even though we were outside. Some of the cast members did not. They were out more on the stage, and they weren't in close quarters. So it worked out well. But I, I was I was still scared the whole time, and I got tested every week. Not that anyone asked me to, but I just I got tested every every week. And this was before any kind of vaccine was available. So I made it back <laughs> to, um, to Lewiston, you know, and this was in December, made it back here safely without catching COVID. And that was really, really exciting that I didn't pick anything up in Houston. Cause that was a, just wow. Cause it was so many cases going on in Houston. And I got back here and tested right away. Anyway, and then I stayed um, pretty much at home that whole spring because nothing was going on that I knew about. And then I was so fortunate and grateful to have some people in our world, the dance and music world, and I heard that they needed some musicians in other places. So I got to play in Utah for the university uh, there, and um, some of you folks who might listen to this know Michael Wall and some other people who are out there. So I was playing at that university for two different teachers, and they were already pretty ready for this technology thing on Zoom. Uh, and I got to set up my studio space, which I have at home. I have a couple of places where I play at home, but it pushed me to reorganize my studio spaces that I have in my home and then cater to what those teachers needed in their spaces. And they adapted quickly to the non-speaking during the exercises. They were totally fine with that. Um, so like if you were a dancer or a dance teacher or a musician, uh, for me, I was going through all the same things that everybody else was, even though I didn't have to get up and move around in a small space, I was still trying to provide the right sound for those people in those small spaces and still be able to 
do what I love, which is be involved in the dance while I'm playing. So I, I was looking at dance with a little different lens because I had to see everything was small. Some Sometimes there were people who did have the luxury of being in a big studio. So that was, that was interesting. Then um, I got to play just for a few classes back here at Bates in the springtime, but they had these uh, things they called quads. So they had minimal people in the studios and there were just a few classes to play. So kind of over the horizon, I saw something else coming again where I was going to be blank on work. <laughs> so I took another uh, interesting job. I was a flagger. And if you don't know what that is, those are the people who stand on the road with the stop and slow signs and you dress in these bright colors and you manage traffic <laughs> when they're working on the roads. Then uh, Bates contacted me and said, yes, we're going to have a mini festival and it's going to be live and in person, but you have to wear a mask the whole time and you have to get tested twice a week. And I said, count me in, I'll be there. So I had some really uh, good experiences through the pandemic, even though I went through some panic <laughs> moments of, oh my gosh, I don't have any work, what am I going to do? <laughs> But I made it work, and I learned some cool things, and I had time, more time to spend in my, in my music studio and kind of upgrade it. So I just turned it into a positive experience. My name is Sarah Julie. I am a performance artist based in Falmouth, Maine, and lucky to be the chair of the Bates Dance Festival's advisory board. In March of 2020, I was in the middle of touring uh, my newest work at the time called Burnt Out Wife, and I had received the New England Foundation for the Arts' National Dance Project Award, which was prestigious and a real honor. And I was, uh, as a result, booked a three-year tour of the piece around the country. And I remember being in the middle of the tour. I was at uh, 3S Art Space in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, March 3rd through 5th, having just come from performing for two weeks at Dixon Place in New York City. And what was memorable was the fact that hand sanitizer had been sold out in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And so I'm doing this show that involves audience interaction. And in the piece, I feed chocolate cake to the audience members. And I remember us having a moment where we talked about it. And the presenter said, okay, well, let's make sure we have hand sanitizer on site. And so they went out and uh, came back with like this tiniest jar of hand sanitizer. And they were like, this is all we could find in Portsmouth. And we did the show because we didn't know any better. And that was the last time I have performed uh, publicly. Um, during the pandemic, you know, what ensued was was a real reassessment of 
uh, my life and my priorities. I think spending 24-7 with my husband and children has been a real gift and an amazing time. There were so many moments in this past 18 months that, you know, we found ourselves quietly after dinner playing a game of Scrabble or Clue. And I looked around and found, you know, just such beauty in being with my family with no agenda, no plans, nothing to rush off to, nowhere to be. And I realized how quickly we had been moving through our lives prior to the pandemic. And while tragic, uh, it was also a very sacred time that we all became closer, my family unit. And I'm very grateful to have had that blessing during such a challenging time. I certainly reassessed my career. This tour that I had worked so hard to build was canceled in its entirety. Uh, and I wasn't sure what my next steps would be. I also have a fundraising consulting practice and 90% of my clients uh, went away since they uh, no, could no longer afford my services and there was nothing, no fundraising really going on in the first part of the pandemic. Uh, I spent a long time thinking, you know, what would come next? And I had this shining light, which was American Dance Festival, uh, called me in July of 2020 and said, let's do a virtual showing of Burnt Out Wife. And what's so funny thinking back on it is it was ADF's very first um, pandemic show and very first virtual showing of a show which is so funny since now it's such a you know embedded part of the performance culture but august it was mid august august 19th 2020 adf premiered burnt out wife followed by a live streamed post performance discussion and adf then um went on to do many more programming which they're still doing through today online and I, I imagine hybrid performance is here to stay, and and there's and, and and the virtual performance on some level will will continue to exist. And it gave me such hope that my work was um, continuing and being seen by audiences. And in a way, I was able to expose the work. Uh, we had about two hundred people that bought tickets and. Um, from around the world, which was what a gift to see, oh, wait, if we do it online, we can actually, all sorts of people, I had friends living in Europe and that had never had the opportunity to see it that um, were able to see the piece, which was something I had never thought about as a live performer. So that was a real um, gift. I also thought it was funny when uh, the show was about to premiere, you know, a couple hours before, I thought, should I stretch? Should I put on makeup? And I thought, oh, wait, I don't have to do anything. They're just, they're pressing play on a recording. Then I, um, then I was, uh, again, had a, was blessed with an opportunity to have a, my first online um, residency, my first online residency at Keene State in Keene, New Hampshire, which was a week-long uh, a week-long online residency where I taught 
students at Keene State from my living room during a pandemic. And that was wild since I, um, you know, love teaching, but I'm used to being in the classroom. So they projected my face in a theater uh, on a screen, and it was a huge screen, and they were socially distancing in a dance in a theater, uh, wearing masks, and I was directing them in a movement and text-based workshop, and it was wonderful. What an opportunity, something I'd never done before, and I uh, really resonated with the students. We did uh, also did uh, a roundtable discussion online about Burnt Out Wife. We had a post-performance discussion. There was several, I went into several um, classrooms and talked about my work. So I really felt like I was on campus. I built relationships with students. I saw similar students at a couple different shows or a couple different um, workshops. I thought, this is so wild. I spent the whole time in my bedroom on looking at a computer screen. So that was wild. Um, And that was in February of 2021. And I also, I hosted my first gala in March of 2021, where I stood on the stage of Merrill Auditorium in Portland, Maine, which holds several thousand people, but it was empty. And it was me and uh, writer, performer extraordinaire, Karim Durdag, based in Portland. And he and I co-hosted a gala with no one there. Uh, So we performed on the stage and wore masks and spoke to audiences. We ran an online raffle and we ran an online auction. And it was marvelous and strange and fun and bizarre and um, just a brand new experience. I guess all to say... I have been really blessed with virtual opportunities that are brand new. What does it mean to be a virtual artist? I I love performing. I love performing live. I love performing with people. And that just in front of people. And that just wasn't an option this last year and a half. However, I just was given opportunities that I said yes to and tried, um, tried some new things on for size and thought and learned and learned about what it meant to try to reach people through the Zoom. And um, I felt really lucky. So a few presenters who I'd had um, scheduled tours with prior to the pandemic have have stayed in touch with throughout the pandemic and have said, look, we want to do this piece. We just need to do it when it's safe. And uh, things have been postponed. Conversations have been had connections have been, you know, over and over again, reconnecting. And so uh, next week, August uh, 5th through 8th, 2021, will be my first live performance back since that March 2020 in Portsmouth, New Hampshire at 3S Art Space, where I'm performing Burnt Out Wife Live at the South Miami-Dade Cultural Arts Center in Cutler Bay, Florida, Um, knowing I was doing a show after having a year and a half hiatus, I was a little nervous to say the least. So I approached Shoni and Allie and said, look, is there any way I could do a workshop showing 
for the students at Bates Dance Festival, uh, asking the students to bear witness to my performance to help me just find my sea legs again. You know, what does it mean to clear away the cobwebs and to pull the set out of the boxes and to print out the script and rewrite some lines? And um, I was really grateful to have the opportunity to perform for the students. So I performed for two nights uh, in Plavin, you know, no tech. um, And... It was really wonderful. It was the first week for the students, in fact, the first couple of days for the students, for them to see a work, you know, raw. I mean, it's a finished work, it's a developed work, but it was it was raw, it was rusty, it was creaky, I forgot some lines, it was a little messy. Um, and I thought, what a gift that I had the opportunity to perform for them. And, and I, th- I felt uh, uh, from them a real sense of care of really taking on this person's nerves and holding it close saying, you know, we support you as you're trying to get this piece back into your body after a year and a half. And I felt um, much more confident. It was doing it two nights in a row. The second night I nailed those lines and I'm feeling prepared and ready uh, to embark on my first show back. And I Feel, I know that the anchoring that I got at Bates Dance Festival to be able to perform in a workshop setting really prepared me for returning to the stage. The festival director is Shoshana Courier. The director of training programs is Allie James. Sound recording and editing by me, Lindsay LaPointe. Music featured by Albert Mathias. For more information about the festival, visit BatesDanceFestival.org. <laughs>